These are similar drugs we use for oncology. Um, they're really good at killing. Molnupiravir, remdesivir, um, Paxlovid. They're really good at killing, but they have to be in the first five days. These respiratory viruses are only in the first five days. Mm -hmm. After that, you're just killing normal cells, mitochondria, epithelial cells. You're killing your hair, you're killing your skin, your nails. You're, you're getting chapped lips, dry lips, dry mouth. You have a system that basically is ignoring real science. Why would you give a drug like remdesivir uh, a day, uh, week 20? It makes absolutely zero sense. When I saw people doing stuff like that, I go, this is a truly evil process. Mm -hmm. So I just, it just made me realize this pandemic that um, we have a lot of work to do and there's a small group of people that control the planet. If, if there is a pandemic, what do we have uh, now in our medicine chest that we didn't maybe have before? How are we going to be looking at all these new pathogens? Let's say it's not a coronavirus. Let's say it's something else. So uh, let me just say this. I spent a long time doing uh, oncology research. I've, I've done virology work. Um, viruses in cancer cells are heterogeneous. Their heterogeneity is part of their makeup. They're, they're like aunts, uncles, and first cousins. Mm. There's always a way to attack them, multiple ways multiple attacks. Uh, I'm not really that worried, actually. It literally took me two hours to figure this one out. So I, I really don't think I'm, I'm not too worried. Um, if, they, if they make something really deadly, it won't spread that easily. Um, what they've done is they've created sort of ultimate weapons. If you look now, you can see they have this um, long-term effects with the uh, pseudouridine component allowing prolonged, as I said, it's a design feature if it was a genetic disease. Mm -hmm. But it's a design flaw in a, in, a, in a disease where they're making a foreign protein. So what we're seeing is that um, anytime they do this, this same, um, quote unquote, pandemic followed by, of course, they're going to have a genetic vaccine already ready for it. That's the whole goal. At the end of the day, the, the disease itself won't be the, won't be the real weapon. It'll be the vaccine that's the real weapon. Mm -hmm. So I'm not too worried about the disease. There's always going to be a treatment. It's not that hard. I, I, I hate to say it, but it, the literature is full of stuff and... And let me say this, the best and brightest people don't work for the government and, um, and they're not evil. The best and brightest people, best and brightest people are not evil and they, they're, well, I'm, I'm on that team and uh, it's not going to be that hard. I really feel super confident about that. Like, uh, the only way they could kind of do it is they shut down the internet and they don't have access to information. That would be if I was going to do it and try to be even more evil is just shut access down to the internet where we can't communicate really well because we found a way to communicate and I found many, many wonderful docs you know, we formed the Global COVID Summit. It's 18,000 doctors and scientists, many of which are, you know, top-notch people. We've got people working on this contamination thing like Kevin McKiernan, mm -hmm. uh, Lynn Finn, and uh, David Weissman, and Jessica Rose, a whole bunch of people that are just really smart people uh, trying to do the right thing. And, and, and similarly, early in the pandemic, uh, I remember it was just uh, myself and Didier Rule and Zev Zelenko talking out in, in March of 2020. There's hardly anybody out there than... Simone Gold and I hooked up and, and, and Joe Latipo formed America's Frontline Doctors. We found ways to kind of collaborate and, 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 and form groups outside of our traditional uh, avenues and pathways so that we now have, uh, right now, if it happens right now, we have a, a collective that's pretty good at, at working together and, and establishing guidelines for protocols and, and things that, uh, to go forward for treatment. And I think we're going to be even better uh, in a better place within another year or two as we're consolidating and actually getting resources uh, to help us. So we're setting up the vaccine injury clinic. We've got a big benefactor that's helping us do that. And we're not just going to do vaccine injury. We're going to do inflammatory disease, quote unquote, long COVID uh, vaccine injury and other inflammatory disorders. 
so that we just help people. Uh, so I'm, I'm not too worried about it um, in the sense that uh, my whole life and my whole career has been uh, in looking in this direction and people who do what I do are not going to have our time figuring it out. Mm. If you had a chance, let's say a new president comes into, into power and they're sitting down on their desk and they have this inspiration. Hey, I want to redesign American healthcare. Mm. And they call you, Dr. Urso. Say, hey, Dr. Urso, how would you redesign it? What do you think is most So, important? first of all, you know, you talk about healthcare. I mean, um, you know, sick care, maybe, or healthcare. So, the first thing is um, there's a lot we can do to help people that's outside of medicine. Um, everything you put in your body, you know, is, is, is something that can affect your health. So the first thing you have to recognize is that what you put in your body is, is going to be directly affecting how, you, how healthy you are or not healthy you are. So, you know, that's, that's kind of outside the president's office and outside the agency's office right now. But in general, you know, I, I have an emphasis in my patient population of talking to people about how to make the best choices for, their, for themselves. I do believe that, you know, a lot of the processed foods, um, the seed oils, they're definitely interfering with health. So I'm a big proponent of, of that at first. But as far as like looking at uh, the current agencies, they're all bought out by pharma. They are well-funded by pharma. They have strong relationship with the pharma. And uh, it's basically the fox watching the hen house. And that just doesn't work. There's no check and balance. So you have to come up with a way to create a check and balance so that people um, are honest in their institutions and they don't feel beholden to the people paying their paychecks. And I think if we can't get that happening, then we're never going to have an honest system. So... It's gotten this pendulum swung too far to that, to that, to that way where the the pe the payers stakeholders are all owned by the same people. So we've it wasn't like that in the '80s. It was there, but it wasn't the extent it is now. Um, I know I've been doing my research since the '80s, and I I felt that overall I thought things were there was some favoritism, but it didn't feel like the way it does now, where they actually actively um, reject re legitimate studies. Mm -hmm. and actively retract legitimate studies showing there's really DNA damage repair from the spike protein going to the nucleus, mm -hmm. showing and uh, putting out stuff from Harvard saying that hydroxychloroquine was killing people. Well, like I always tell people at the beginning, I go, look, our first thing is um, it, the mechanisms are there for hydroxychloroquine for, uh, for tamping the virus down. But the mechanism for inflammation for hydroxychloroquine are well known for decades and clinically well known. The stuff on the viral stuff is, is well-known in tissue culture. It's even, they even had dosages to do that were probably re well within reason. Instead, they dosed him um, 34 milligram per kilogram doses instead of something around 5.5 milligram per kilogram. They overdosed. Um, they overtreated. Um, they, they basically sabotaged, did sabotage research. And then when they actually did a study, they actually fabricated all the data and said hydroxychloroquine was killing people. So the, if people think of there's corruption... There's nothing more than to say one of the major studies on hydroxychloroquine was completely fabricated by Harvard, by the head of Harvard CV, and nothing bad ever happened. It was put in the Lancet. Nothing happened to Lancet. Nothing happened to Harvard. Nothing happened to the guy who was the head of Harvard CV, none of whom ever treated a single patient. It was all a complete lie. And nothing happened. I mean, basically, they, they, they're corrupted, and uh, there's nothing to say other than it is what it is. And if the fox is watching the hen house and we keep that system up, the first thing we have to do is, is, is change that system to where that's, there's no way for that to happen. You have to have, you have, to have check and balance. Um, I run a big practice with uh, several other docs, and um, we had some of, some of these issues in our own practice. 
like I said, we see 300,000 patients and there's always political infighting in self and just in any group uh, that you have and you establish and, and, and there's certain influences and you can see it pretty much in, in any institution, any organization. And so that's why you always have to establish checks and balances and maybe sometimes tear the system down and start over again. So I think in general, that's the first thing I would do is that we have to find a way to, mm -hmm. to make the system function honestly. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes, you know, people, pandemic was a really ter terrible thing. Um, vaccines is, is even worse. But sometimes when these bad things arrive, um, like you said in the very beginning, um, sometimes you look at it positively. So out of this really bad thing that happened, is there something that you learned that you will carry with you for the rest of your life? Well, it crystallized that there's a small group of people to me that run the world and they're not always doing, you know, I've, I knew that uh, years ago. I think the first time I, I recognized it is uh, when I was uh, probably in the late 80s. I had done some work on history uh, work where I wrote a book on the War of 1812 that never made any sense. Mm -hmm. And I figured out at some point that, hey, the reason they Germans were hired by the British to come across and burn the Washington down was for uh, to sign the bank charter. So I recognize that a small group of people control the planet. Those, that group of people has been doing the same thing for years. Fiat currencies, controlling uh, both sides of the wars. And, and I, 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 I always thought that at some point that we would um, um, not really have to worry about them because, okay, they're controlling things. They own the Federal Reserve Bank and, and they're, they're in charge. And we're here as worker bees. But if you're smart, you work hard, good things will happen. You don't have to really be worried. This, 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 this virus pandemic crystallized to me that these people are in charge, that they are basically much more evil than I ever imagined. Um, I did not know this in the beginning of the pandemic. I just, as it went on, I recognized that they were knowingly giving out bad policies that led to the deaths of 90% of the people. 90% of the people died because the pandemic policies were absurd. Mm -hmm. And uh, they, 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 they authorized drugs that were very um, toxic, um, you know, I, I, like I said, these are, these are similar drugs you use for oncology. Um, they're really good at killing. Molnupiravir, remdesivir, um, Paxlovid, they're really good at killing, but they have to be in the first five days. These respiratory viruses are only in the first five days. Mm -hmm. After that, you're just killing normal cells, mitochondria, epithelial cells. You're killing your hair. You're killing your skin, your nails. You're, you're getting chapped lips, dry lips, dry mouth. Um, you're basically, you have a system that basically is ignoring real science. Why would you give a drug like remdesivir uh, a day, uh, week tw 20? It makes absolutely zero sense. When I saw people doing stuff like that, I go, this is a truly evil process. Mm -hmm. And it crystallized that in my mind that, you know, I didn't have much choice. Um, uh, I had to stand up and say something because I actually, I was like, I'm one of the people who actually knows that this is a total lie. Mm -hmm. And so most of my doc friends, they didn't spend enough time in the lab. They don't really, they can't put the dots together. So I just, it just made me realize this pandemic that um, we have a lot of work to do and there's a small group of people that control the planet and um, it, it, we never see them. You know, we don't see them. They're like ghosts. Yeah. So that's, that's what I learned from this pandemic. Um, and I don't expect that to change. That's all the climate change stuff, the transgender ideology. All this is all basically moving parts in a chess or checker game um, that are all something that we all need to deal with and, and face up to and just say, hey, it's not just pandemics. It's anything where it creates division amongst people. Mm. They're usually involved in it. How can we create more 
unity within people. You know, that's a, that's a really good point, this division. And I've seen in the freedom health movement, there are some groups that are forming that are, you know, maybe pointing a little bit of fingers at each other or... It's natural. I mean, yeah. like I said, that's what I see in my own, even my own group. You know, there's a little bit of competition, competition. and stuff. I think it's, to me, I, I look at it as friendly competition. Some people are more sensitive and get the feelings hurt a little bit easier. Mm. Um, again, it's um, I, 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 tr I, tr I try to be a go-between on some of the stuff. And um, we have um, we have some competing groups in there that are they're they're all trying to do some good. Um, you know, people are people are, have lost their jobs. Um, they're starting to, you know, try to try to make their way into creating a little bit of an alternative system. Mm -hmm. There's a little bit of competition there. Of some people are selling supplements. Um, you know, they're good quality products and it's just a matter of, you know, um, saying, um, hey, we, we've got to make a living. Uh, you know, some of these guys are no longer able to practice in the normal yeah. way they practice. Yeah. So people are going out of their way in a sense to try to, in, in my mind, I had a vision of, you know, we need to work on telehealth. Um, we need to work on clinics um, that are sort of outside the system a little bit, surgery centers, hospitals, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, ancillary ancillary services and then you know other things like you know supplements and things that are all going to basically help the population and i think other people you know have that vision too that we have to do something to help and so there's that little bit of competition avis versus hertz when people are in that situation i usually tell them look you're really not fighting them it's like um if there's two of something people have to pay more attention if there's one of something mm -hmm. they're like well there's two which side should it be on this one or that one it's like the Yankees versus the Red Sox, you know, it's, or the Cowboys versus the Red, well, Redskins, and now the Commanders or the Eagles. You know, there's always a little bit of friendly competition. And I think you just have to look at it that way. You know, you spur each other on to bigger things. So people in the movement that are, you know, getting their feelings hurt and, and uh, they shouldn't just, um, everything's fine. You, those, those are, those people you're competing with are really your friends um, and try to, in your mind, in your heart's, your heart, in your mind's eye, try to think about it that way. Mm -hmm. so. I just want to circle back to one point that you were saying that you, you said that it took you two hours to figure out this virus. Mm -hmm. yeah. Can you walk me through the thinking of how you were thinking about, okay, this is how yeah. I solve Medicine 101. So yeah, yeah. like I said, uh, viruses, cancer cells are like aunts, uncles, and first cousins. They're not, they're not heterogeneous. They're not all identical twins. So I already know that going in, like I'm going to have to use multiple things in order to get this, right? So, and I'm probably not going to be able to cure it. So it's like cancer. I have to mitigate. So I already know that going in, right? Mm. So then I'm looking for things. What can, so I already know we have, so before I even get there, I'm already been doing, I've already been thinking about it for a month and a half. Uh -huh. And so now I'm just thinking, okay, I know I can mitigate the inflammation, yes. the steroids and other drugs for inflammation. Uh -huh. I know I can stop the blood clotting, Eliquis, uh, Xarelto, you know, Lovenox, lots of drugs for, for that. I know, I know we can uh, have respiratory uh, drugs like the asthma drugs are all work. What can we do to attack the virus? Uh -huh. So in a literature search over two hours, I found like nine things. Then fibrate, ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, chloroquine, colchicine, um, singular, I'm blanking all of a sudden. But there was like nine, nine that I had on my list. And, I, and, I, and, I, and some of them were really intriguing. Uh, azithromycin, so the macrolide antibiotics. Have, so basically, I took all the tropical medicine drugs and, uh -huh. and looked at their immunomodulatory properties in the 90s. Uh -huh. I invented a drug for wound healing in the 90s, and it didn't get through until 2018. So in that, in that time, I would look and see what cytokines were expressed 
or not expressed, depending on what drop. I use dapsone for TB, mm -hmm. ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine. I used a lot of different drugs, proxyquantal, that were tropical drugs to see what they did. Um, as I used the macrolides, azithromycin, uh, and I looked at these, and, and I found they were helpful for scarring. Mm -hmm. And that's when I, I ended up going and moving my research more into chronic wound healing. But first, I was looking at scarring. I found vitamin D was implicated in scarring. Like if you low vitamin D level patients, and when you when you added vitamin D, to the, sc uh, the scars were 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 much more uniform mm. um, instead of haphazard scars like keloids. I would grow keloid. Uh, I had this uh, method of growing skin equivalents um, that I grew things in tissue culture with neonatal foreskin keratocytes and fibroblasts from different parts from different tissues and seeing the effects of that. Um, and I found a lot of stuff out. So I already had a big background already that when I looked at this, it was not like, it wasn't like new news for me that these had immunomodulatory properties. They had antiviral properties. They had anti-tumor properties. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I, it, I was just doing what I always do. So why tropical drugs? Why did you, I just thought they were really interesting. They had multiple effects oh. and I, and I, we just, you know, we, we started, um, so when I started out in the 80s in biochemistry, um, the immunology textbook was probably 15, 20 pages. By the time we got to the early 90s, you know, you had a two or 300 page book with mm -hmm. multiple different cytokines that had been discovered. Mm -hmm. And I just knew there was, you know, there was, when there's discovery of compounds, those compounds do something. And I knew, I knew that I, if I could, you know, just immerse myself in it, that I would find things that might affect those, those, those compounds. So I was looking things that looking for things that mo modify. And I found a lot actually, by the way, I first used cyclosporin and graft versus host disease in like 1989. Um, so, you know, that was the first transplant drug besides steroids that was uh, a patented and then approved uh, in 1984. So I was always looking at compounds and just to see if I could do other stuff with them. And, uh, and when I went into ophthalmology, it made it a little bit easier because I could, I could isolate the, the, uh, I can do my t isolated tissue culture uh, things with skin equivalents and uh, and then kind of use it as a model for the eye, actually. Um, it's kind of an interesting thing, but I was talking to my team yesterday. And I said, here's the conjunctival epithelium, and underneath there, there's something called tenons. Nobody knows, but this is like epidermis dermis. Um, and I said, so I use that model with, you know, epidermis and and neonatal foreskin care sites, epidermis, and and um, fibroblasts from different tissues, dermis, uh, and made skin equivalents. And, and I use that as my model to help with some wound healing issues for the eye. Mm -hmm. So bottom line is like, um, we were already doing stuff with, um, anti-tuber antibiotics on, on the surface of the eye, 5-FU, mitomycin. So that was already being done by others. So I, I took a lot of the research that had already been, you know, my, like standing on the shoulders of giants. Basically you take a lot of that research and you just, you know, you just expand on it. And uh, that's what we all do. We just, there's other great minds. And, and that's one good thing about COVID. I found a group of people that were just really smart. Um, and I was shocked at how much, um, how much that helped me going forward through the process and bringing everybody together in America's Frontline Doctors and then Global COVID Summit and bringing, you know, eventually um, together to kind of form these groups. And it's been a wonderful experience. And so because of that, you know, we're more organized than we were, you know, a couple of years ago. That's incredible. Are there some things that you are uh, very excited about that this group has, you know, maybe come together and produced or figured out? 
Are there some things on the horizon that you feel like, oh, this could really potentially change the face of medicine or drugs? <laughs> uh, so I almost don't want to go down this, ra this rabbit hole, but, you know, we, we've, we've kind of um, partnered together to try to look at a more of the oncology side and repurpose mm -hmm. drugs. Mm -hmm. And uh, Paul, Merrick, myself, Ryan, mm -hmm. and many others, um, Lynn, um, are looking at different products. So I've been doing it since 2008. But I've actually been doing my oncology work, like I said, since 1982. Mm -hmm. And I found that some of these repurposed drugs are actually very effective at tumors. And I think one of the things that might come out of this is in our collaborative efforts um, that we're trying now to sort of say, hey, if you're failing these other therapies, if you're having a hard time, and you're mm -hmm. in fourth stage and, and the immunotherapies are failing. And remember, there's cytotoxic chemo and it's toxic. Like I said, that's the drugs like that are similar, molnupiravir, remdesivir, and Paxlovid, those are toxic drugs. We have similar drugs like that mm -hmm. for cancer. And, and then you have radiation surgery. And then we have the immunotherapies, which are wonderful. Um, but sometimes those, all those fail. Mm -hmm. And so we have this, you know, rescue therapy that, you know, fembendazole, ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine all have some roles. There's 116 clinical trials going on right now in the world for hydroxychloroquine. But ivermectin and fembendazole have anti-tumor properties. Melatonin is anti-tumor. Um, it's also NRP3 inflammasome reduction. So they're anti-inflammatory. Mm -hmm. Vitamin D. There's a lot of products. And so our collaborative efforts have kind of, in a sense, spawned this idea that maybe, maybe we ought to kind of expand a little bit and try to help in that area too. Mm -hmm. And more importantly, um, concentrating a little bit on the, on, the, on the person and the health of the person ahead of time. So not just focusing on sickness, but also focusing on wellness more or less. And so that's something that for me, I've been doing forever. That's nothing new. Like I've been a functional medicine doctor since I was like 12 years old. Yeah. In my well, mind. <laughs> yeah, I remember telling my doctor, um, hey, uh, cholesterol um, is, um, is, uh, um, is, it can't be bad for you. It's in every cell of the body. And it's, um, and it's basically um, the foundation of every hormone. So it makes no sense that it's bad for you. And later I, I did come back and tell my doctor, which I said on stage here today, Cholesterol is the solution. It's not the problem. At the end of the day, I think there's a lot of um, things in medicine that are uh, COX-2 inhibitors. I've, I knew back in the 1980s they were going to cause strokes, and I stood up and said it in meetings, um, not prescribing them. It's a stroke mechanism. Well, they all got thrown off the market for strokes. Mm. Um, it's a blood clotting mechanism. So a lot of these things are easy to see, and the pharmaceutical industry is really good at pushing these things forward anyway despite the health of people and whether or not it's going to be um, harmful or not. So that's what happened with the, with this, you know, what, what's our current thing with the vaccines that are harmful is bad medicine. It's not about didn't stop transmission, didn't stop infection. It's actually harmful. Um, it's doing, it's doing more harm. It's, it's counterproductive. It's not, a, it's not a level playing field, you know? So how about this all, this whole, mRNA technology, are you a fan of it? Are you think well, if you listen to my talk today, no, the answer to that is um, there's design features there, right, that are mm -hmm. wonderful. So I said this today, I'll say it again. Uh, there's design features. Um, it widely distributes, well known before 2020. Mm -hmm. Lipid nanoparticles distribute widely through the body. Then Pfizer um, showed that in their study in Japan. Uh, the government in, in Australia showed the same thing and widely distribute. But back to 2012 and, and earlier, we see studies where they show it accumulates highly in the ovaries, accumulates highly in the brain, goes to the bone marrow, the, the adrenals. This is all prior to 2020. Mm -hmm. So it's a design feature, if you think about it, that the original mRNA technology was for genetic disorders. So that's a feature, right? Hey, I just stick it in your arm, 
and then it goes widely through your body. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I don't actually have to stick it in the rest of your body. I can actually just put it in your arm. It'll go everywhere. So design feature. In this case, it's a design flaw because now I have a, a virus, a, a, a vaccine, actually making a foreign protein everywhere. Why do I need a foreign protein in my ovaries or testes? All right, so that's design feature number one. Design feature number two is the mRNA. Uh, it's genetically modified and body can't break it down. Mm -hmm. Now, again, that's a design feature. If I have a genetic disorder, you know, I give somebody two shots a year. And that'd be great. Like, right. hey, come in for every six months. We do know that half the patients are still making spike protein six months later. So, you know, we don't know. Maybe like what we find in most biologics are broken down by different people in different ways. We see this like we do biologics inside the eye mm -hmm. and we have different patterns of giving it maybe one month, two month, three months, depending on the person and depending on the drug. So, so this is normal for biologics to be broken down at different rates in different people. So at the end of the day, we find something that works for you. Mm -hmm. Again, a design feature if it's a genetic disorder. But in this case, why would anybody in their, in their mind want to have a foreign protein being made for months and months and months? It's absolutely absurd. Mm -hmm. So this is why I tell you that um, these, are, these are products that can never be made uh, in anywhere in the near future. They have not solved any of those things. Uh, the, 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 the product is going to... Uh, be harmful no matter what's designed in it because it's always going to be a foreign protein right now if it's a vaccine. So unless they can figure out a way to do it with genetic disorders to make a protein you need, it's by definition a harmful product. Mm. So I guess it's a no, no future for this. <laughs> so let me say this. Um, the answer to that is no, it's not going to work. So it's not. It can't work because of the way it's designed. It's the technology platform. It's like saying I'm going to take water, I'm going to splash it on the floor. It's not, the floor is not going to get wet. I mean, the floor is going to be wet. It's water. It, get, it makes the floor wet. Right. Simple. I mean, it's, it's not that hard. And now we have the, the idea where in this particular product, you can't even trust Pfizer. I mean, they didn't declare the SV40 promoter. They didn't declare the HSV fragment. They didn't declare that there's a, a silk-like protein being made. And that silk-like protein happens to form hydrogels at human temperature, 37 degrees Celsius, and at a pH of 7.4. How convenient. So, you know, is that clinically relevant? I have no idea, but it's really scary to think that a lot of these blood clotting could have been due to this hydrogel silk-like protein, which would be basically, you know, silk stronger than steel, mm -hmm. stronger than, 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 um, than Kevlar. That's why when those guys were pulling those big clots out of there, maybe it's that. That's mm -hmm. really intriguing, and that's our job because the NIH, the FDA, and they're not going to do the job, the CDC. We'll try to figure it out for them. We'll help them out. You know, we'll help out Pfizer. We'll help them all out. You know, we'll just see what we can do. You know, keep the world straight. <laughs> well, with 18,000 people <laughs> on your team, it's a big team. Yeah. Yes, sir. <laughs> so, it's uh, a great team. Yeah. If you think the best and brightest work for the government, they don't. Okay, that's not true. They don't. If anybody here thinks that, you know, like I said, I have some land in West Texas to sell you. <laughs> <laughs> so,